get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, February the 1st, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Israel's reportedly carrying out attacks in Gaza as Hamas is said to be studying a ceasefire proposal. The International Court of Justice has rejected most of the claims Ukraine's made against Russia. The Chinese foreign ministry has held a New Year reception in Beijing for foreign diplomats and their spouses. In business, China's report on the nation's fiscal revenue and expenditure. In sports, Japan survives a scare at the Asian Cup. In culture and entertainment, pre-sales for the Spring Festival movie lineup are now underway. Now the day's top stories. A witnesses say the Israeli military has carried out airstrikes on Gaza City and bombarded parts of Khan Yunus in the south. Uh, this comes as Hamas is reportedly studying a new truce agreement that would see weeks of ceasefire in exchange for the release of hostages. In the meantime, the Israeli government's divided over the Gaza deal, with the national security minister threatening to quit the government over any attempt to enter what he calls a reckless deal with Hamas to retrieve hostages. Sarah Coates has details. This is really the sentiment from the far right. Uh, ben Gavir threatening to bring down the government if a reckless deal is made. But look, it is important to point out that the opposition is offering Netanyahu a safety net to try and bring these people back. And look, uh, these families, of course, are furious. They are putting so much pressure on the government. These people have been in the strip now for more than 115 days, and there are major concerns over their whereabouts and, of course, their welfare. Now, we do understand that Israel's spy chief, the head of the Mossad, David Barnea, he presented this plan to Israeli officials last night. It's understood the principles of this are somewhere along the line of a 35 day pause in fighting. This would be for the first stage and that would be for the release of 35 captives. These would be elderly, sick, injured. Uh, it is during this phase it's understood that a second phase would then be discussed. But look, part of this plan would mean that Israeli forces would have to pull back from these densely populated areas in Gaza. And look what we've been hearing from the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu time and time again is Israeli forces will not pull out of the Gaza Strip. He also says that he will not release thousands of Palestinian prisoners. So look, this is certainly very concerning for these families. They just want their loved ones home. And Netanyahu has reportedly said to these families, I will not okay a deal that harms Israel's security. He says he is working on a deal but not at any price. That was Sarah Coates reporting. The Israeli military says it's pumped seawater into the Hamas underground tunnel network in Gaza. It's the first time the IDF's officially acknowledged using this controversial strategy, which some UN hydrologists and environmental experts warn could destroy the enclave's fresh water sources and agricultural production. Israeli officials estimate that Hamas's tunnels stretch up to 700 kilometers. 
following up on the drone attack that saw three U.S. troops killed in Jordan over the weekend. Washington's pinned the blame on the Iran-backed Islamic resistance in Iraq, but Iran's denied any involvement and threatened to respond should the U.S. harm Iranian interests. Meantime, U.S. forces have stepped up their offensive against the Houthi group in Yemen, while the Houthis say they've launched a fresh attack on a U.S. vessel in the Gulf of Aden. With the unrelenting conflict between Israel and Palestine, the United Nations says Gaza has been left uninhabitable. John Gambrell has more. We've heard from the White House, which now has said it assesses that the Islamic resistance of Iraq, this Shia militia umbrella group there, is responsible for this attack in Jordan that killed those three U.S. troops. Now, that draws the line closer to Iran as Iran's Revolutionary Guard is believed to have very close relationship with this group. Now, Iran has denied being involved in the attack, and we've heard from its ambassador to the United Nations he threatened a real response from Iran if the U.S. attacks Iranian territory or any place with Iranian interests. All this comes as there's been sort of this growing concern over a regional escalation as Israel's war on Hamas and the Gaza Strip continues. Iran and the U.S. haven't had a direct military confrontation, but as we've heard from U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, this is one of the most dangerous moments in the Middle East in some 50 years. Meanwhile, we're continuing to see these attacks by militia groups in the wider Middle East. That includes Yemen's Houthi rebels who have launched a new missile attack on a U.S. warship in the Red Sea. That ship shot down that missile, avoiding any damage, and no one was hurt. And we also saw the U.S. launch a new airstrike on Yemeni territory held by the Houthis. The Americans say they targeted a surface-to-air missile battery that could have posed a danger to U.S. airplanes flying over Yemen. Meanwhile, there's still continued work on a proposal to have a new ceasefire. We've heard from Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu. He met with some of the families of those remaining 100 hostages in the Gaza Strip. He said that work was going on even during that meeting to try to get a ceasefire across the line, but he didn't offer any details. What we know right now is the proposal that's before Israel and Hamas is for a two-month sort of phased ceasefire that would see those hostages released in exchange for an unknown number of Palestinians held in Israeli prisons, as well as more aid going into the Gaza Strip. But even getting aid into the Gaza Strip remains difficult. We've seen, again, another protest by Israelis angered by any aid going into Gaza. They blocked a crossing between Israel and the Gaza Strip, uh, blocking trucks from carrying that aid inside. And security forces ended up detaining dozens of people there during that demonstration. Meanwhile, the, the concern about aid is growing wider. We heard from one UN official who was speaking at the United Nations. He said that there just wasn't enough aid going in, that people in Gaza are facing temperatures in the single digits at night with localized flood water still from these heavy winter rains we've seen. Some people in makeshift shelters, others in tents outside trying to just survive the elements. And this official acknowledged that what's going into Gaza is just grossly inadequate for those people in need. That was John Gambrell reporting. A new draft resolution calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza is expected to be tabled at the UN Security Council in the coming days. Algeria, in addressing the council on Wednesday, insisted that council members must immediately ensure the voice of justice is heard following the verdict by the International Court of Justice. Earlier, the court at The Hague ruled that Israeli forces must avoid committing genocidal acts against the Palestinians after South Africa brought a case against the country. But the United States is saying the conditions for a ceasefire are non-existent. Jody Jacobs reports from New York. 
Algeria, the only Arab country represented at the United Nations Security Council, says it's preparing to present a draft resolution that calls for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. The country's permanent representative told the council that this call will be in line with the measures mentioned in the decision by the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. He says that the council must insist that Israel implements all the measures as outlined by the court. It is crucial to reach a ceasefire immediately. Those that oppose that ceasefire must question their conscience and evaluate their own humanity. What's happening in Gaza, such as the atrocities, is unacceptable by the sense of what healthy humanity means. The lack of a ceasefire means we are accepting that 250 people will be killed every day. But the United States says conditions in Gaza do not allow for a ceasefire at this stage, an indication perhaps that the U.S. will likely oppose such a call in the council. It has not made any finding that this preliminary phase of the proceedings that Israel committed genocide or otherwise violated the Genocide Convention. And indeed, the United States continues to believe that such allegations are unfounded. And that rather than try and will a ceasefire into existence when the conditions to sustain it unfortunately don't exist, we must instead work toward a durable solution to this conflict through the hard work of on-the-ground, relentless diplomacy. The Palestinian permanent observer to the UN, Riyad Mansour, at another meeting on Palestine here at the UN headquarters, said that once a ceasefire is accomplished, they will call for full membership at the United Nations and then call on the General Assembly to convene an international peace conference to achieve a two-state solution. Israel says it remains committed to mitigating civilian harm in Gaza and will continue to facilitate humanitarian aid according to international law. It says it is confident that South Africa's claim of genocide will be rejected by the ICJ at the next phase of court proceedings. Meanwhile, South Africa, which led the charge at the ICJ, insists that the Security Council must immediately outline measures that it will take to enforce the court's ruling. Should this fail, South Africa says it will approach the General Assembly, which has previously voted in favor of a ceasefire. And that was Jody Jacobs at the UN headquarters in New York. Coming up, an international court rejects most of Ukraine's claims against Russia. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. We're at 11 minutes past the hour. The International Court of Justice has rejected most of Ukraine's claims against Russia. A Kiev had accused Moscow of de- uh, discrimination and financing terrorism. The ruling comes as Ukraine and Russia conduct a prisoner swap on Wednesday, just a week after Moscow claimed that Kiev had shot down a military transport plane carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war over Russia's Belgorod region. Megumi Lim has more from Kiev. Earlier on Wednesday, Ukraine and Russia conducted a prisoner swap just one week after a previous exchange was halted when a military transport plane which Moscow claims carried Ukrainian captives was shot down over the Belgorod region. Russia and Ukraine said around 200 prisoners were swapped, but the two sides disagreed on the exact figure. 
Kiev said 207 captives had returned home, while Moscow said exactly 195 prisoners were exchanged from each side. The swap comes against the backdrop of a potential shakeup of Ukraine's military command. Several media reports this week said Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky had asked Ukraine's top general Valery Zaluzhny to step down. Zaluzhny refused to do so and remains in his post, but the future of his career is in question amid ongoing tensions between him and the president. Now, the Kremlin said on Wednesday it was monitoring the situation, and its spokesman Dmitry Peskov attributed the potential shakeup to Kyiv's regime having problems thanks to the success of Russia's special military operation. That was Megumi Lim on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The European Union's envoy for the Western Balkans has urged Kosovo and Serbia to speed up efforts to normalize relations before two international elections take place. Uh, Miroslav Loichuk uh, met Kosovo officials in Pristina on Tuesday after visiting Belgrade a day earlier. We have entered the new year, 2024. It's a specific year. There will be elections to the European Parliament in June. There will be US presidential elections later this year. That means the attention, of course, later this year will be focused on these processes. And therefore, I travel to Belgrade and to Pristina to discuss our process of normalization of relations between Kosovo and Serbia, to take stock of where we are and to discuss how much progress we can achieve uh, before uh, Europe enters into elections. Uh, the EU and the United States are uh, pressing uh, Kosovo and Serbia to implement an EU-sponsored uh, plan reached last March. The EU-facilitated normalization talks have failed to make progress, especially following last September's shootout between mass Serb gunmen and Kosovo police. The conflict left four dead and ratcheted up tensions in the region. Both Serbia and Kosovo have said they want to join the EU, but the bloc's foreign policy chief has said their refusal to compromise is jeopardizing their chances for membership. Kosovo unilaterally declared independence from Serbia in 2008. Serbia rejects this and considers Kosovo a province. Kosovo authorities say they'll impose the use of the euro and abolish the use of Serbia's diner in the north, where most of the ethnic Serb minority lives. Kosovo Deputy Prime Minister Beznik Bezlimi made the remarks on Wednesday. It is not allowed to import money into Kosovo unless you have a license from the central bank, which allows money to be transported. These are the measures that are in place. The regulation of the Kosovo central bank is not talking about the use or non-use of dinars, neither is it about the lek or the South Korean currency, because the central bank only regulates the currency of Kosovo, which is the euro. The European Union uses the euro and not the dinars, we're also dealing with the euro, but the European Union is interested to have this transition go smoothly, and so are we. Uh, the Kosovo Central Bank governor says starting Thursday, new rules on local transactions in euros will be applied in the northern municipalities, and all financial institutions there should register in the next month. The decisions worried residents like Blagica Radovanovic, a retired professor in northern Mitrovica. Citizens are not prepared in time for this situation, and it will cause a great humanitarian catastrophe. Young people will somehow find a way. It is in our mentality. But what are we going to do with people who are receiving social benefits, who have postmen bring money directly to their doors?
This will cause a great humanitarian catastrophe, and our people are paralyzed and in a state of great apathy. The decision has sparked concerns among Western powers, fearing more tension in Kosovo's relations with Serbia. They've urged Pristina to postpone the move. There's been no reaction from Belgrade. Thousands of people have evacuated a neighborhood in the Haitian capital, Port-au-Prince, amid a territorial fight between rival gangs. Residents have been uh, leaving for makeshift shelters, which include at least one school. A street vendor, Sherlene Abel, who has been helping with aid supplies, says the evacuees are facing dire conditions. They have no water, no food, no clothes. They have nothing. I asked the Haitian state to come to help them. They really need help. Gangs currently control around 80 percent of Haiti's capital, with recent attacks killing and injuring dozens in previously peaceful communities. Concerns are growing that the gangs may soon control the entire capital. Haiti's national police say they're losing officers at an alarming rate. Prime Minister Ariel Henry's request for international help suffered a major setback last week when the high court in Kenya ruled against the deployment of Kenyan police in Haiti. The CEOs of Meta, TikTok, and X, and other social media companies are facing tough questions at a U.S. Senate hearing over their efforts to combat online child abuse. Wednesday's hearing began with recorded testimony from kids and parents who said they or their children have been exploited on social media. Nick Harper reports from Washington. Have you apologized to the victims? An angry exchange about online abuse. Would you like to do so now? They're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Forcing the CEO of both Facebook and Instagram, Mark Zuckerberg, to make a personal apology, saying, I'm sorry for everything you've all been through. Continue doing industry-leading efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. Listening were angry and grieving parents of children who, facing online abuse, took their own lives. The CEOs of Meta, TikTok, Discord, Snap and X testified on their efforts to protect children on their platforms. Keeping teens safe online requires a collaborative effort as well as collective action. We share the committee's concern and commitment to protect young people online. and We welcome the opportunity to work with you on legislation to achieve this goal. Bad things can still happen when people use online services. That's why we believe that people under the age of 13 are not ready to communicate on Snapchat. The committee heard recorded testimony from children who had been targeted by sexual predators, leading many of the senators to accuse the companies of putting profits over safety, branding the platforms dangerous. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies, I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product that's killing people. Congress has previously discussed laws to hold tech companies accountable for online child sex abuse, allowing victims to sue. But so far, none of the proposals has become law. And Wednesday's hearing, despite the lawmakers' outrage and the CEO's promises, offered no quick fix to keep children safe online. That was Nick Harper reporting from Washington.
Flowers and uh, fresh uh, foods are now facing additional checks when imported into the UK from European Union countries. The new rules are a result of Brexit and are expected to cost businesses millions of pounds a year to implement. At New Covent Garden Market in London, traders are gearing up for Valentine's Day, but the cost of love is going up. Florist Elaine Graham expressed concerns about increased costs and documentation for flower imports. Valentine's Day is crazy. It's one of the biggest, biggest days of the floristry calendar and it's worldwide. So um, flowers are shipped through Holland everywhere. Um, so I mean, our borders are now causing us an issue with that. Uh, the new rules had uh, already been delayed five times, but now blooms require health certificates to get through customs. The checks also apply to food imports such as cheese, dairy, eggs, chilled and frozen meats and fish. While aimed at preventing pests and diseases, the UK government admits the procedures will cost businesses £330 million a year and increase food inflation. Coming up, uh, a New Year reception in Beijing for foreign diplomats and their spouses. The world is about to change. Warriors, assassins, fair maidens, court officials, and even emperors and heavenly immortals are nothing but pawns on a giant chessboard. Xu Feng Nian, a playboy of national notoriety and heir to the empire's second most powerful man, finds himself embroiled in the depths of unbeatable game. CGTN Radio invites you to immerse in a world brimming with heroism and follow a young man's odyssey in the audio drama series, The Sword Strider Saga. Now available on radio.cgtn.com and all the major podcast platforms. When courage meets wisdom, the sword scribes an immortal legend. 21 minutes past the hour. Well, Chinese foreign ministries held a New Year's reception for foreign diplomats and their spouses, as well as representatives from Chinese ministries in Beijing. Addressing the reception, Foreign Minister Wang Yi said the country's diplomatic service has been or has seen remarkable achievements amid global challenges. China will work for a universally beneficial and inclusive economic globalization, oppose protectionism, and reject the attempt to roll back globalization and abuse the concept of security to keep the global industry and supply chain stable and unclogged, better facilitate the exchange between Chinese people and people across the world, and provide more vitality impetus for the healthy development of the global economy. Senior diplomat added that China has been shouldering the responsibility as a major country and working hard to contribute to world peace and stability, noting that this year marks the 75th founding anniversary of the People's Republic of China. Wang Yi said China is willing to work with all countries to build a future of development and prosperity. Well, ahead of the upcoming Spring Festival, around 100 Taiwan college students have traveled to Jilin province to experience the winter cold up north. Organized by the All-China Federation of Taiwan Compatriots, the tour is designed to help build understanding among young people across the Taiwan Strait. Zhao Yunfei caught up with the group and spoke with camp members about their unique journey. Ice fishing on the Chagan Lake in northeast China's Jilin province. It's among many winter activities that are a tradition for locals, but quite unique for guests from afar. 
在台湾是绝对看不到的，因为台湾不可能。You never see such thing in Taiwan, and you can catch such big fish. 哎，我刚刚体验那个。I just experienced drifting on the ice, the stuff that is to skate. I'm very happy. 进行漂移，进行开始玩耍，很开心。This winter, tourism in northeast China has been booming as travelers from southern China flooding to the country's coldest region in the coldest season. For all of those who come from Taiwan, this could be an even more exciting experience. We follow the students from the subtropical island of Taiwan as they embark on their eye-opening journey. We usually think it's a cold wave when it's 10 degrees in Taipei, but we didn't expect it to be minus 25 degrees here. My hands would freeze within three minutes while walking outside, but it was very interesting. Such contrast could be a hard-earned experience. The winter camp organized by the All China Federation of Taiwan Compatriots offers opportunities for Taiwan youth to explore the Chinese mainland. Their first impression of the mainland: huge. 很大，对，比如说我们刚刚参观了校园的场馆，好，因为我们一般 very big indeed. We just visited the university gym. The venues in our universities are multifunctional. One venue can be used for both basketball and volleyball, but here it has seven different venues, which I think is quite special. 大陆很大 The mainland is so vast, and every city has a unique history and culture. I wanted to use this activity to go out. The students also learn about Chinese civilization. The handicraft lesson teaches students to make decorations for hanfu, a traditional Chinese costume. It's a great experience. This one looks pretty nice. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's hanfu costumes at the evening gala. It is our Taiwan classmates who wear them, and I want to see how they look. The diverse and profound Chinese culture is a bond linking Taiwan with the mainland. This marked the 30th year that the All China Federation of Taiwan Compatriots has hosted the winter and summer camps. These activities have united Taiwan youth over the past decades. Most members are university students. Some fly directly from Taiwan, while others attend college in the mainland. The Chinese mainland views this effort as a means to boost understanding across the Taiwan Strait. With so many exchanges activities held in various places, I also came into contact with some Taiwan youth. Many came to the mainland for the first time. They summed up their feelings in three words: not the same. The visiting students are lucky to receive the hospitality. However, some of their peers hesitate to come to the mainland. I asked some classmates to come visit together, but their families may not let them come. They didn't mention a specific reason, but simply said their parents didn't agree. So what is the barrier? Some press in Taiwan have been spreading rumors about the mainland. Most people cannot afford tea eggs. Not even tea eggs. Their per capita income is very low. The propaganda has left the Taiwan people with overwhelmingly negative attitudes toward the mainland. But it doesn't help the Taiwan authorities to gain more support. During the just-concluded Taiwan leadership election, the Democratic Progressive Party candidate Lai Qingde received just 40% of the vote. Four years ago, the figure was 57%. Experts believe the DPP has lost trust among the younger generation. An opinion poll shows that Lai Qingde's support rate among voters in their 20s is only 17%. His main competitor, the Taiwan People's Party candidate Ko Wenzhe, has 58 percent.
The camp members say communication is a way to bridge the gap. I think we need to have more contacts and exchanges to reduce misunderstandings. If you have never been here or experienced it, whatever the media says is what it is. But it's not about politics. These Taiwan youths are having fun in Jilin province. The fish they hunt becomes lunch. They don't just feel the winter, they taste it. The youth are the future of the country. The students are taking advantage of their time here to build friendships and make good memories that will last the rest of their lives. And such memories will contribute to a brighter future for the nation. That was Zhao Yunfei reporting. Around 28 past the hour, Beijing down to minus 8 on Thursday evening. Friday will be cloudy. The high is plus 1. Nanchung has a slight rainfall and 4 overnight, then moderate rainfall and 6 degrees. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's down to 7 degrees. Friday's sunny with a high of 15. Uh, Vientiane's down to 20, then sunny skies and 33. Uh, Phnom Penh's 24 overnight, then sunny and 34. In Africa, Nairobi, you'll see overcast conditions with a high of 27 on Friday. Palace down to 19 degrees. It's uh, overcast overnight with the high, or uh, tomorrow rather, with a high of 28. Uh, Juba's 23 uh, tomorrow with uh, clouds and, uh, rather, 23 tonight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 35. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Israel's reportedly carrying out attacks in Gaza, as Hamas is said to be studying a ceasefire proposal. The International Court of Justice has rejected most of the claims Ukraine's made against Russia. The Chinese foreign ministry has held a New Year reception in Beijing for foreign diplomats and their spouses. Shane Begumadim, stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好,我的中文一点点. or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了,我是本地人. There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begumithi on this Thursday. Still to come. In business, China's report on the nation's fiscal revenue and expenditure. In sports, Japan survives a scare at the Asian Cup. In culture and entertainment, pre-sales for the Spring Festival movie lineup are now underway.
To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's uh, headline news, here's Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. The United Nations has expressed concern about political developments in Myanmar after its military government decided to extend a state of emergency for another six months. The UN Secretary General spokesperson Stefan Durarik says humanitarian assistance is urgently needed. Some 18.6 million people in Myanmar, that's one-third of the country's population, urgently need humanitarian assistance. That's compared to one million before the military takeover three years ago. Unimpeded humanitarian access is also required by the United Nations and its partners. The Secretary General calls for sustained international and regional attention and coherent collective action to support the people of Myanmar and remains committed to work with all stakeholders, including the countries of ASEAN and other regional actors, to help secure a sustainable and inclusive peace in Myanmar. The junta has repeatedly extended a state of emergency since the coup on February 1, 2021, due to a prolonged conflict between the opposition forces and the military. On Wednesday, Myanmar's leading resistance group and allied ethnic armed groups battling the military government released a political roadmap to ending military rule and enabling a peaceful transition of power. They say they are open to peace talks with the army if it accepts their terms. The military government had no immediate reaction. Hundreds of protesters have clashed with police outside Argentina's Congress. It came while legislators debated a package of reforms promoted by President Javier Millet as the starting point of his plan for the total deregulation of Latin America's third largest economy. Legislator Solicit Fierro in Buenos Aires is one of them. We're in this multi-sector mobilization to reject outright the law that they are trying to approve. The omnibus law in Congress, such as the DNU and the single security protocol. They believe that we are under martial law in a state of exception. That is not voted on. We're in a democracy and they bring out the gendarmerie. They bring the police out into the streets to try to prevent the mobilization. With the support of legislators from the opposition, the ruling party achieved the necessary quorum to start the session. The package of reforms aims to allow the president to create laws on financial, security, energy and administrative matters. It promotes a profound reform of the state, which includes the privatization of public companies. It also cuts funds allocated to film production and culture, deregulates tourism activity and the publishing industry, and legalizes the resale of tickets for sporting events. Millet argues that without this regulatory tool, Argentina will not be able to reverse its economic suffering and will head towards hyperinflation. Serbia is considering reintroducing compulsory military service due to rising tensions in the Balkans and Europe. President Aleksandr Vucic said the proposal, which was suspended in 2011, is now supported by top army commanders. Vucic did not specify when the draft would return. He said the national parliament, which is dominated by his allies, would vote on the proposal. Opposition politicians and other critics have questioned the logic of a military build-up, given Serbia is almost completely surrounded by NATO member countries, which have superior firepower. 
Alaska's largest city has been experiencing a record-breaking snowfall. As of Tuesday morning, the three-day storm had dropped nearly 17 inches, or more than 43 centimeters of snow, pushing Anchorage past the 100-inch mark earlier than at any other time in its history. Anchorage High School senior Christopher Colin Willey. It's a little bit more than usual. It's kind of fun, to be honest. I like to jump in the snow sometimes. It's a little hard since they haven't cleared the sidewalks to walk here, so I slipped and fell a couple times. Right. Yeah, they kind of need to fix that. The city is well on track to break its all-time record of 135 and a half inches. This year's total already ranks the eighth all-time, with lots of season remaining. Peruvian authorities have reopened the train route to Machu Picchu after an agreement was struck to end protests blocking access to the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Protesters began gathering near the famed Incan ruins last week over a new centralized ticketing system. They feared the new electronic ticket sales platform would hurt local businesses by shifting the administration of ticket sales to one private company. The latest agreement will allow for a transition period before the new platform comes into use. China has remained Africa's largest trading partner for 15 consecutive years, with bilateral trade reaching a record 282.1 billion U.S. dollars in 2023. That's according to a recent report from the Chinese Commerce Ministry. Meantime, the country has approved the general plan to build a pilot zone for in-depth China-Africa economic and trade cooperation. All right, thank you very much. That was Tian Lu with Headline News. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's report on the nation's fiscal revenue and expenditure. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and here's Wang Zihang. Thanks, Shane. The Chinese mainland markets closed mixed on Thursday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index was down more than half of 1%, while the Shenzhen component rose about a third of 1%. And the Chinex board was up by 1%, but all of those indices are still below key psychological levels. Most of the gains that were concentrated in sectors that have been highlighted for special government support, uh, including biomedicine and electric vehicles. Some of the losses on the uh, blue chip stocks are being offset, uh, or have been in the last week or so, by some very heavy buying from state-backed investment funds. S&P Global Market Intelligence uh, has calculated that the equivalent of 17 billion US dollars flowed into uh, CSI 300 ETFs on the Chinese mainland last month. Uh, That indicates a pretty strong uptick in support for the market from the government's uh, national team of investors. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index gained nearly 0.5%. In Japan, the Nikkei lost more than 0.7%. The Chinese Ministry of Finance has reported on the country's fiscal revenue and expenditure for the full year of 2023. The ministry says the general public budget revenue increased 6.4% to exceed 21 trillion yuan, or about 2.9 trillion US dollars, last year. Jiang Chunying has details. 
One of the key messages that benefiting from the economic rebound and the introduction of uh, the large-scale value-added tax reforms in 2022, China's fiscal revenue witnessed a uh, increase in 2023. The national general public budget revenue exceeded 21 trillion yuan last year, and that is an increase of over 6.4 percent year on year. And when it comes to a local perspective, income generated in the uh, eastern, central, western, and northeastern regions, they all increased by 6.7%, uh, 6.8%, 10.7%, and 12% respectively. And all uh, 31 provinces recorded positive fiscal revenue growth. And also this year, China's finance ministry said it would continue to look for more ways to bolster domestic demand and help the world's second largest economy regain its momentum. Uh, so the ministry said that the country's budget deficit would be maintained at quote unquote a certain level in 2024 and added that the authorities would continue to set what it put as an appropriate quota for new special local government bonds. And that is a key source of infrastructure investment. And that way, overall government spending would increase. And the finance ministry says uh, that would play a better role uh, stimulating domestic demand. And officials also said during the conference, uh, the presser, that the central government would continue transferring funds to help uh, those local authorities to meet their basic spending needs with poor areas receiving preference. The finance ministry said officials would introduce uh, tax cuts to support technological innovation, agriculture and manufacturing development in rural areas particularly. That was Zhang Chunying on China's fiscal revenue and expenditure in 2023. The Caixin China Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index for January 2024 stood at 50.8, unchanged from the previous month. This is the first time since June 2021 that the index has remained in the expansion zone for three consecutive months. The index is sponsored by the Caixin Media Group and compiled by international information and data analytics provider IHS Market. Readings above 50 indicate expansion. China's official manufacturing PMI released on Wednesday came in at 49.2 in January, up from 49 in December. The divergence has largely been attributed to the differences in the survey samplings. The Chinese Ministry of Commerce has released a third batch of time-honored Chinese brands, officially recognizing 382 of them. At present, the total number of time-honored Chinese brands nationwide has surpassed 1,450. The ministry says it will continue to promoting the development of these brands. It will also tailor development strategies to individual brands and help them create more distinctive must-buy products. The U.S. central bank has confirmed it's ready to to begin counting its benchmark interest rates as inflation drops closer to its target range. Owen Fairclough has more. Has the U.S. central bank, the Federal Reserve, finally won the inflation battle? It hasn't raised its benchmark interest rate since last July, after ramping it up to drive down prices that spiralled out of control in 2022. And now that inflation has been largely tamed, Fed Chair Jerome Powell is under pressure to cut that rate. The question is when. We believe that our policy rate is likely at its peak for this tightening cycle, and that if the economy evolves broadly as expected, it will likely be appropriate to begin dialing back policy restraint at some point this year. And how this post-pandemic inflation crisis has been solved 
is a puzzle. And it's one that even some experts are struggling to explain. Jerome Powell warned that that series of interest rate hikes designed to bring down inflation would be painful for businesses and consumers and might even trigger a recession. Instead, the opposite has happened. The US economy is outperforming every other advanced economy, wages are rising, and employers continue to expand their businesses by hiring more staff, even when the costs of doing so were elevated by those interest rate hikes. And it doesn't stop there. The projection for 2024 is also pretty good for the US. Even so, with that benchmark rate at around 5.5%, it's driven up the average 30-year mortgage so much, many prospective buyers have been priced out of the market. One argument for cutting rates. What we're trying to do is identify a place where we're really confident about inflation, get it going back to 2%, so that we can then begin uh, the process of dialing back the restrictive level. And yet with the economy defying expectations, some economists think the Fed needs to consider the lag between hiking interest rates and their impact on the economy before taking action. That was Owen Fairclough reporting. High-level representatives from China, ASEAN member states and the ASEAN Secretariat have gathered in the eastern Chinese city of Hangzhou to discuss the upgrading of the China-ASEAN free trade area. This is their fifth round of negotiations. Chinese Vice Commerce Minister Wang Xiaowen has called on all parties to make full efforts to translate opportunities into outcomes. The upgrading of negotiations of CAFTA 3.0 is a priority in our trade and economic cooperation. We see immense potential in emerging sectors. Cooperation between China and ASEAN on e-bills of lading and digital supply chains will significantly improve trade efficiency, lower transaction costs, make trade easier and more inclusive, and unleash greater vitality in our trade. The special committee says they have made good progress regarding some topics and issues and still need to push further in order to conclude the negotiations by the end of this year. The meeting is scheduled to close on Friday with the attendance of nearly 400 officials from the parties involved. Data from the China East Commerce Ministry shows that the country's trade in services hit a record high in 2023, with travel services taking the lead. The year-round transaction volume amounted to about 6.6 trillion yuan, or roughly 919 billion U.S. dollars, a 10% increase over 2022. Exports of services dropped by about 6% to 2.7 trillion yuan, while imports surged 24% to 3.9 trillion yuan. Trade in knowledge-intensive services grew 8.5%, while trade in travel services grew by 74%, the fastest among all categories. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zhang with Business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Japan survives a scare at the Asian Cup. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there.
Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. In football, Japan maintained its pursuit of a record-extending fifth Asian Cup title by advancing to the quarterfinals with a 3-1 win against the Bahrain. Goalkeeper Zion Suzuki's own goal gave Japan a scare after leading 2-0, but ISA Weda restored the two-goal advantage with a low shot. The pre-tournament favorite has bounced back from a surprise loss against Iraq in the group stage and will play Iran in the next round. Iran needed a penalty shootout to beat Syria after their game ended 1-0 through extra time. Iranian forward Karim Ansarifad says the team should not have missed the scoring chances to be dragged into the risky shootouts, but the progression matters the most. It was a great performance from our team. We were really, really unlucky. We did. We missed a lot of chances. If we had, if we had scored our opportunities, we should have win with a good result. But end of the day, we won. We are happy. We are looking forward for next match. In uh, I think less than 72 hours, we will have an important match. We will try our best to go through. Despite loss, Syria already made the breakthrough by playing the knockout stage of the Asian Cup for the very first time. In the English Premier League, Liverpool has moved five points clear at the top after a 4-1 victory over Chelsea in the highly anticipated clash. 20-year-old right-back Conor Bradley was the big surprise for the Reds as he scored one goal and set up two more at Anfield. After goal, Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp says he always knows Conor will have his moments. But I loved him from the first day. It didn't need a lot of convincing. The, the thing is that Conor um, showed up extremely Good in the preseason, did extremely well at Bolton, comes back, looks top in preseason, wow, and is out for five months, four months. Like these kind of issues that only young people have. Uh, and, but thank God then time can sort it. In our age, uh, it will not get better, but in that age group, it gets better. Wednesday's match also marked the 200th Premier League win for Klopp. Manchester City kept pace with Liverpool by beating Burnley 3-1. Erling Haaland made his much-awaited return for City after nearly two months out injured. Pep Guardiola says the title race against Liverpool and Arsenal will be a long shot. The reality is when we won 18 games in a row, 14 or 15 to win the titles, never thought to win 14, 15 or 18. So we were there thinking, OK, we won this one one step at a time, one game at a time, and we did it, and I think we're going to do it again. It's the same Liverpool we faced during seven, eight years, and Arsenal, so since Mikel, the first season settled the squad, and now he's there, so I don't have the feeling that they're going to drop much points. Elsewhere, Tottenham scored three goals in a frantic eight-minute spell early in the second half to fight back for a 3-2 win over Brentford. Cristiano Ronaldo will miss the chance of a much-anticipated reunion with Lionel Messi because of an injury. Al Nasser says Ronaldo is recovering from a calf injury and will not be fitting time to play in the exhibition match against Inter Miami in Riyadh on Thursday. Messi and Ronaldo were long-time rivals when they played in La Liga and have combined to win 13 of the last 15 Ballon d'Or awards. The latest installment of that rivalry was seen as the highlight of Miami's preseason tour, which included two games in Saudi Arabia. Atanasa also postponed two exhibition matches in China this month due to Ronaldo's injury. 
and the Winter Youth Olympics in South Korea. Chinese freestyle skier Liu Yishan laid down three high-scoring rounds in the women's half-pipe final to claim the gold medal in Gangwon. Liu had topped the qualifying round to go into the final. The 16-year-old maintained her form to secure the title after skiing superstar Gu Ailing won the same event four years ago at the 2020 edition in Switzerland. I feel so happy that I can represent China in standing on top of the podium and hearing the national anthem of China playing. I am very excited as I think competitions are opportunities to show yourself, so I just treat it as a stage to demonstrate my skills. I only need to perform my training routines and do my best on this stage, and that's enough. Chen Zihan made it a 1-2 finish for China as the 14-year-old took silver. French authorities say over 300,000 spectators will be able to attend the opening ceremony for the Paris Olympics, about half the size of what was originally planned. The French interior minister says the current plans will allow for 100,000 paying spectators with a waterside view and more than 220,000 people with free tickets on the river's upper embankments. Organizers had originally estimated that around 600,000 spectators could watch the ceremony, but the minister did not give a reason for why they have revised those figures. The giant show on the River Seine on July 26th will mark the first time that an opening ceremony is held outside of a stadium setting. And finally, in the NBA, Ben Simmons set out again after returning from a 38-game absence with a back injury. Simmons injured his knee in the Nets' victory over Utah on Monday. An MRI exam showed no structural damage to the knee, and Simmons has been listed as day-to-day. The number one pick in the 2016 draft hadn't played since November before returning Monday with 10 points and 11 assists in 18 minutes off the bench. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, our pre-sales for the Spring Festival movie lineup are now underway. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment, in-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 53 past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment. Uh, pre-sales for the upcoming Spring Festival movie releases opened on Wednesday, topping 70 million yuan, or 9.8 million U.S. dollars. Zhang Yimou's Article 20 led the chart with nearly 20 million yuan, followed closely by Jia Ling's boxing comedy YOLO and Han Han's uh, motor racing drama Pegasus 2. Uh, nine films are set for release during Spring Festival, making it one of the busiest movie-going seasons in China. As the 2024 Chinese New Year nears, uh, the National Community Spring Festival Gala kicks off in Hunan, themed People Are the Nation. It's a cultural spotlight for everyone to showcase their talents and shine on stage. Dai Kai spoke with the performers and the audience. The 2024 National Community Spring Festival Gala, where preparations are in full swing. Artists from across China have gathered here for one single purpose, to showcase their talent and celebrate their unique communities and culture. Acts like comedic duels and variety shows showcase the beauty of everyday life and the charm of folk art. 
The gala aims to bring together the diverse cultures and talents from over 100,000 communities, reaching a billion residents. People are the nation, and the nation is the people. I feel like this show really connects with the masses. Delving deep into the community is quite thrilling and exciting. Having this event in our city feels like a great honor. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm quite curious. I enjoy both the singing and dancing performances and the skits. They add richness to our lives. There is an entrance to the backstage just to the side where the artists are getting ready. I chatted to a few of them earlier and they say they're excited to get onto a stage at such a prestigious event for the very first time. There's a big opportunity for them to showcase their heritage and their traditions that make up our society. We see this as a fantastic opportunity to promote our country's intangible cultural heritage, the Baling Opera. We hope for more chances like this to step onto bigger stages in the future. Participating in this national community event involved several stages of selection, auditions, semifinals, and finals. Making it to the recording scene of the gala is a tremendous honor for us. With each of his five chapters, the gala explores different themes, from sketch shows portraying the warmth of family to songs and dances reflecting the rich cultural heritage that has endured through history. The gala captures the essence of community life. As we witness communities from all corners of the country, people at the grassroots level, and there are teams converging here in the city, it truly represents a grand feast of grassroots culture. This is a prime opportunity for ordinary folks to take the stage, perform, entertain themselves, and showcase their talents. Themed People Are the Nation, the annual event creates not just a cultural stage right at the resident's doorstep, but also a warm collective memory for generations. That was Dai Kai on the National Community Spring Festival Gala in Hunan Province. Actor Alec Baldwin's pleaded not guilty to an involuntary manslaughter charge in the fatal shooting of a cinematographer during a rehearsal on a movie set in New Mexico. Baldwin, the lead actor and co-producer of the Western movie Rust, was pointing a gun at a female cinematographer during a rehearsal outside Santa Fe in October of 2021. The gun went off, killing her and wounding the director. Grand jury in Santa Fe indicted Baldwin in January after prosecutors received an analysis of the gun. A Baldwin faces up to 18 months in prison if convicted. Well, he said that he pulled back the hammer but not the trigger, but the gun fired anyway. Sony's first PlayStation State of Play for 2024 has kicked off with a bang, offering first-look footage and announcements for some of the biggest releases in the coming months. Among the highlights, Hideo Kojima brought a glimpse of his new project, Death Stranding 2, on the beach. Everybody wants to be part of the UCA. That's not the plan, Sam. Norman Reedus returns to the role of protagonist Sam. In the game also features Hollywood director George Miller and actress Elle Fanning playing parts. A Sony's reveal also included a PlayStation 5 remake of Until Dawn, a PlayStation version of Dave the Diver, and footage from Capcom's uh, Dragon's Dogma 2. We're at 58 minutes past the hour now. Checking the forecast before we go for the day. And uh, Beijing's down to minus 8 on Thursday evening. Friday, we'll be getting cloudy skies and a high of plus 1. Nanchang has a slight rainfall in 4 tonight. Tomorrow is getting moderate rain in 6 degrees. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's down to 7. Then Friday has sunshine and a high of 15. Vientiane's at 20 overnight, then sunny in 33. Phnom Penh's 24 this evening. Tomorrow is sunny in 34. 
in Africa. Nairobi is getting overcast conditions with a high of 27 on Friday. Kampala's 19 overnight. Tomorrow is overcast and 28 degrees. Juba's 23 tonight. Tomorrow, some clouds and 35. And finally, to Oceania, Port Vila's at 24 this evening, then rainfall and 31 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, Israel's reportedly carrying out attacks in Gaza as uh, Hamas is said to be studying a ceasefire proposal. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 